Hey, this is Neil Bawa, the Mad Scientist of Multifamily, and you're listening to the Mailbox Money Show with Bronson Hill. This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. All right, welcome to the Mailbox Money Show. My name is Bronson Hill. I have an awesome guest with me today. I have the amazing Tom Burns, who is a physician and investor, owns, I believe, over a billion in real estate, done all kinds of stuff, but he really has a unique voice into speaking to physicians, uh, having been a career physician, having been a surgeon, and really having these two offices that are doing different things. Some are, one is uh, healing patients up, the other is going after big real estate deals and helping investors to solve uh, you know, financial freedom stuff, uh, ways to, to create more financial freedom. So really excited to have him here today. Tom, how are you? Welcome. Thanks for being here. I'm awesome, Bronson, and uh, honored to be here. Oh, really excited to have you, man. Well, I, I really, I think I want to go back to the story of how we met. We met actually at the uh, the Real Estate Guys Summit 2019 on a cruise that I sat down on this table with three or four people and you're there and yeah, I've raised, you know, I'm a physician, I raised $300 million. I'm really blown away that, you know, someone could be a physician and have raised all this money. But um, let's, let's just talk for a minute. I want you to kind of get into the topic of, you know, why doctors don't get rich and, and kind of like maybe your story of how you got started uh, as a physician and kind of what led you to real estate? Oh, you bet. You bet. Um, well, you know, and some doctors can get rich, just depends on their mindset. Right. So right. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I started, I started as a doc. I was just, a you know, as a young guy, I was an athlete. So that's all I did. And when I found out nobody was going to pay me for it, I had to find something to do to still hang around athletes. So I became an orthopedic surgeon and a sports medicine guy. Uh, so I followed that path. Right. Uh, finished college and then did four years of med school, five, you know, six years of training after that. Um, the story actually started during my training. Uh, you know, I had no business classes, no real estate chops. I was, you know, I always worked. I worked since I was 13, either being a fry cook or doing yards or whatever. I always worked and uh, did a lot of late nights at the grocery store. Uh, I was the graveyard guy cleaning the floors. Anyway. Wow, looking hard. I, um, I was in training and doctors are trained by the apprenticeship model, just like blacksmiths, plumbers, et cetera. You know, we're trained by guys that are already doing it. So I watched these fellows for these men and women for a few years. And over time, it, it dawned on me that they were not all that happy with what they were doing. They were working hard in the hospital late at night. Many of them were on their second or third marriage. They had big houses and fancy cars, but they weren't, they didn't seem happy. And that's not what I signed up for. So I finally figured that I didn't necessarily want their money if I had to have their life. So I really liked what I did. So I thought, well, I ought to have, I ought to bring some money in that's not correlated with medicine. I looked at a bunch of stuff and, and I landed on real estate because I didn't have the, the money, the time or the chops to do a lot of that other stuff. So I landed on real estate. Now, back then, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. So most of what I did in real estate was learn about it. Sure. So I learned a little. I got out and became a doctor and started making a little bit of money, paid off a few bills. And 
I figured the best way to learn was to just jump in the water. So I went and bought something. And so that's how it started. I bought a single tiny little thing and bought some more of those and then bought a few things where there was a few of them put together in a complex and things grew over time. And, and now we do somewhat larger deals, but that's the, that's the slow process. I built my yep. real estate portfolio right along the way, right along beside building my physician practice. Well, you mentioned something too, and I think this is really true. Um, any professional that's listening, it doesn't have to be a physician. It could be a dentist. It could be a you know CPA. It could be a lawyer. It could be something else. Is a lot of times um, the training that you get doesn't really always it doesn't prepare you for the business side. And you know, from what I've been told, you, know, you worked with physicians for ten years. A lot of times, there's is that correct? There's not a lot of training and maybe just how you get referrals, but not say how you manage people or how you manage a business. Is that is would you say that's true? There's none. You're, you're trained how to get busier because the busy, you know, to make more money, you have to get busier, the busier you get, the less time you have. So there you're trained how to do that one specific thing. You become a specialist in what you do, but no business training, no generalist uh, training on how to run the business, how to market, how to do HR, how to handle employees and stuff like that. None of it. Right. And, and it's interesting that you, by, by doing real estate, it really taught you the business side, I'd imagine. I mean, I don't know, it sounds like you had quite some business experience before, just even, even being like somebody who's, you know, cleaning the floors and the working nights and the, in the market and different things you were doing, but you developed this business side. Do you think, how much do you think that that helped? Did that also help in your practice as well, as you were learning about real estate, that it helped you to manage better in your, in your practice? Yeah, it did. It did, you know, kind of, I mean, it helped a little bit on the marketing, certainly on the marketing side and, you know, and, and the numbers, you know, the debits and the credits, we looked at, you know, looked at tightening up the balance sheet and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I kind of figured early on in my career, I had a choice of going out to work harder to make my, my doctor practice bigger, or instead of doing that, going and, and building something that one day would provide me income all the time. So I sort of chose the latter most of the time. Didn't want to be the busiest guy in town, just yeah. best I could be. Well, and it's interesting. My background, it's, you know, obviously I was not a physician, but I had 10 years in medical sales. I did well. I had a couple uh, cardiologists I worked with that they made, you know, millions a year each. They made a two, three million a year and yep. they were working 68 hours a week. And to me, it just, it never was appealing to me. So I was like, well, you, you can't really enjoy your life. You're just kind of a slave to this. And so a lot of physicians and higher earners I see are really in that time for money trade. And you described it like the being you're just being too busy. And, and you have your book, you know, why doctors don't get rich, which I have here, which I have not read yet. So I need to, I need to read it, but can you talk about that? Like what, why you mentioned that we're not trained on the business side or that type of thing, but why is it that doctors don't get rich? So, well, I mean, you don't have to read the book. You can use it, you know, for, uh, to wipe up messes or anything you want, but, um, <laughs> You know, so, so that title's really, it's primary, it's actually more of a metaphor for the fact that no matter how much you get paid for your time or your service, if you get hit by a bus or get sick, the music stops. And that's the that's the premise of the book is the fact that, you know, if you're if you're forced to trade your time for the money that you need to live, you're not necessarily free and you don't necessarily don't necessarily have the ability to enjoy all that life has to offer. So in that vein, drilling down to doctors, lawyers, any, any professionals or drilling down to the doctors, you're right. Most are not true. I had zero business classes. You know, if you get on that track, you go take all the biologies and all that stuff. There's no business in there. Maybe they've changed things a little bit since I got, got out in the stone ages, but uh, you know, you're trained how to do that. And you want your doctor to be a specialist and to be trained heavily. So that's, that's the point. And I actually, to be honest, I know a lot of physicians they're great learners. 
they're good at deferred gratification. I do know some physicians that are excellent investors if they just kind of develop the learning mentality to learn something else. And, and so it's, it's mostly a fact that if you're trading your time for money, you're just not really going to get rich and rich is yeah. defined as controlling your time. Controlling your time. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Financial freedom is, is time freedom. And, you know, Robert and Russell, Russell Gray talks about, um, you know, the idea of single point failure. If you have single point failure, and like you said, if something happens to you, your health, your, your time, you have a family member issue. If you have to work to make the money, you're not really free. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand. And so, um, so you've been able to do that. I know you had a unique, I want to share this story too, because it's a cool story. I want you to share it. Uh, so Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad, the number one personal, uh, you know, finance selling book of all time. You found it at like a gas station somewhere. It was like one of the first original copies of like thousand. I mean, this thing was like, it came, it didn't come out as like a bestseller. It was like, like under the radar only in certain places. And so you, I mean, can you tell that story about how you picked this up and your relationship with Robert and kind of how that progressed? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's crazy the connections you make. So uh, it was simply, I was just out one day running errands. The family was out of town. My truck was dirty. So I took it to the car wash in the neighborhood. And it's one of those deals where you hand them off your car, then you go inside and pay and you sit down, you know, read and wait for your car. So I went up to pay my bill and on the on the back shelf on the back was this hand painted sign that said book for sale and kind of gaudy purple and gold book. And I could see the word rich on it. And I was already reading books like that. I was reading sales books, marketing books, real estate books, anything I could get my hands on at the time. So I said, let me see that. And it said, you know, what the, what the rich teach their kids about money that the poor and middle class do not. And I thought, well, anybody that's cocky enough to say that I got to read this book. Right. <laughs> so I bought a copy, not thinking much of it, went home, tossed it on my office desk, went about my day. I went in there about 1130 at night, fixing to go to bed. I just opened, I never even looked inside the book. I opened it up to read a page or two and uh, kind of liked what I read and leaned against the desk and read a little bit more. Then I sat down just to read the first chapter and four hours later, I'd read the whole book. Uh, <laughs> truly the best personal finance book I'd ever read in my life. And so wow. I told a bunch of friends said, you know, this is a great book, handed, handed some books out, wanted to know who this this author was, you know, nobody, it's unknown author. It was Kawasaki, Kiyosaki. It was hard to pronounce. And so we called the publisher to find out who it was and who was on the other end was Robert Kiyosaki, the author. That's Turns awesome. out he had only printed a thousand books, self-published. He hadn't sold, sold any of them other than the, the two dozen that he sent to the, to the uh, car wash. Wow. And I was the first, I was the first one to buy a book from the car wash and I had gone back the next day and bought all the rest of the books. I wow. just handed them out to friends. So we called him and he said, we said, I said, how many, how many of those books do you have left? He goes, well, how many did you buy? We said 24. He goes, I got 976 left. <laughs> <So> <laughs> well, you were, you were customer number. You're like, man, that's, well, that says a lot about you too, Tom, that you like actually, I mean, obviously you're in the right place, right time. You know, you just happen to be there, you know, happened, you know, maybe his buddy ran the car wash. I don't know. How did they get to a car wash? Was it a friend of his or something? It was a friend of his. He basically okay. called him up and said, I want you to put my books in your car wash. And the guy said, we don't sell books at car washes. He said, well, you do now. Just do me a favor. And the guy said, I'm sending them back if they don't sell. So they, <laughs> in, got, in true Robert Kiyosaki me. fashion, right? Just here's what you're yeah. going to do. <laughs> exactly. And he, and he said, nothing's selling. Then he called him back one day. He said, how the book selling? The guy said, they're all gone. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, that, and I'm sure, so that, and that's amazing. And I know since then, 
Um, obviously, I mean, I, you know, I run a meetup in LA. We, you know, we raise, you know, how many people have been impacted by this book or it changed your life and almost every hand goes up, right? So it's amazing. I don't know, you, you've had some interaction with Robert and, and wasn't there a, a ceremonial, there was a ceremony where you got to give something back to Robert, right? Wasn't that something yeah. that happened? Tell, tell us that story. Yeah, so, you know, we stayed in, we stayed in touch for years. We were friends now for 27 years, 26 years, whatever. And uh, and so one day we were together. It was, it was actually one of, we were talking at one of Russ and Roberts deals on the boat. Yeah. And I said, he said something about the old, because he was coming out with a 20th, 20 year edition, 20th year edition, right? Oh. I think. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I, I said, you know, I still, I still have that first book. He says, you got it? I said, yeah, I'll give it to you if you want. And he goes, you do that? I said, it's your book. So I, I told him I was going to give him the original book. And so uh, at one of our advisors meetings for the Rich Dad, uh, I, I handed him back the original Rich Dad, the first Rich Dad book ever, ever purchased. And wow. he handed me, you know, a, a sort of limited edition of one of the books he'd written. So it was real nice. And so it's, wow. it's hanging in the Rich Dad office now. That's amazing. That's that's really neat. Well, it's neat to see. I mean, you know, it's funny too how big things start small, and the idea, you know, that just writing a book can create, you know, impact so many people's lives. So appreciate you sharing that. That's really really awesome. Um, so I know. So you you're very modest, Tom, about what you've created. You've created a, a very big organization. You have Presario uh, Ventures, which you guys uh, talk a little bit about, and I think it's over a billion with a B in real estate. Is it one point five billion or one point two billion or something like that? Can you talk about? You talk about that, talk about what you do and and just, you know, what sort of investors you work with and just talk about what you're doing now. Sure. It's it's actually somewhat less than that. We haven't quite hit a billion yet. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like everything. It kind of grew organically. It's somebody, you know, somebody that I ran into and I was, I was on stage somewhere in 2001 and the guy said, Hey, Tom's from Austin. I met somebody there at the break that was moving to Austin he and I became friends over four or five years, realized we had similar, similar ethics, similar business ideas, you know, philosophy. We said, hey, let's do something together. So we started doing things together. Uh, one of the things we did was buy a restaurant. And I can't recommend that because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but, you know, we were both in the real estate game. He had he had certain talents on in some asset classes. I had others. And so we connected up together and we thought back right before the GFC that we thought apartments would have a pretty good run over the next 20 years was our impression. So we focused on, on apartments. Cause I had, I had student housing experience, uh, office development experience. He had retail and building suits, stuff like that. And so we, uh, you know, we had a piece of land. We ended up our first, our first big project was an apartment development back right in the heart of the great financial crisis. <laughs> That's how it started. So we just, you know, we, we begged and borrowed to get some money and get the equity to do that from a few investors. And that, you know, that went pretty well. And we just kind of kept trying to take care of our investors and it's grown over time. And most of our, uh, you know, we pretty much stay in Texas. We have divested out of Oklahoma and New Mexico and kept most of our stuff in Texas. Now we have uh, Alabama and Georgia as well. And so primarily in the development space, although we will acquire as well doing a little bit of more of that right now uh sure. we primarily primarily ground up stuff multifamily built to rent and uh and now in the sort of workforce housing area of extended stay hotels that's great and i love how you've uh done multiple areas multiple different projects and i remember when i uh talked to you a while ago i think it was maybe four or five years ago you were you had your 
your medical office. So you'd go in there a few days a week and do surgery. And then you'd have your real estate office, you know, five minutes away, a whole team of people over there doing stuff. Are you still practicing medicine or are you retired now? No, I am finally retired. In fact, in about a week, it'll be two years since I retired. But uh, awesome. the, the real estate gave me a chance to practice medicine without the need for the money for a good 12 or 13 years. So just ran yeah. out of time. Well, and that's the thing too. I think a lot of people, um, I think don't realize some people say, well, I really enjoy my job or enjoy what I do, but it's amazing to like, once you have enough passive or investment income covering living expenses, um, and you know, you, you could, the work is optional, right? You can kind of do it how yeah. you want it. You can do part-time. It just, there's a real freeing feeling. And I think if somebody is a physician, maybe they're in a practice or they, uh, you know, it could be a professional that works at a large firm or something. Uh, just, just that freedom to know you have the, the ability to do it is huge, right? Just that feeling of freedom. And, and, you know, how is that, have you seen that with people that have invested with you and as they've experienced that? Absolutely. Bronson, it made me a better doctor because you know, I could spend yeah. more time with my patients. I didn't have to care if they paid me. I think mm -hmm. I took care of every musician in Austin because they haven't got any money to their names. And so I was wow. able to help them and not really care. So mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean you have to stop. And that's part of the premise of the book is I want people to get free so that maybe one day when I'm old and gray, I get taken care of by a doctor who's really passionate about what he or she does. Uh, yeah. Same thing with all the other professions or whatever anybody does. It's just, it's very liberating. It's freeing and it, it, it helps you find your passions and spend the time on them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think when I, you know, that was one of my big reasons to want to become financially free was, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a songwriter. I like writing music. I love traveling. I want to create memories with my family, with my daughter. And it's just like be able to do that stuff or, you know, to just be available for family and friends. It's, it's just life gets so busy. And so to be able to have that space, is really incredible. Um, what is it like when you talk with, let's say someone's listening, they're a physician, they're kind of new to all this, or they're like, you know, I know I should do real estate, but like, what, what's like step number one, two, three, like what, what should people kind of get started with? And you talk about education, like what are some things people can do to learn more? And I guess you have to make that decision if you want to be passive as an investor and keep practicing, you can be a passive investor and use your, your money, or you can use your time and like you did to get leveraged and get going, but can you just talk about kind of some steps people can do to get started? Yeah, it's great. And you started out with kind of figuring out why and kind of figure out kind of what you want to do, but it's, it's pretty simple. Like anything, you know, get, get some education and that education is so readily available. Now there's books, you know, we talked about my book and Robert's book. There's, there's a jillion books out there that'll get you, get you used to the lingo, get you, get you maybe excited about what it is, you know, read some books, Listen to podcasts. That's where you hear the experts. That's where you get ideas, and then get around people. Um, and there's a million, a bunch of you mentioned it already. You have a meetup, people that are sort of all moving in the same direction. At those kind of places, whether it's a conference or a meetup or anything where people are gathering that are doing what you want to do, you'll be with people that are already where you want to go or on their way to where you want to go. You'll get ideas. You'll get partners. You'll get motivation. So. Those are the three big ones, you know, get educated, get around people. Oh, sorry. Number three is then go do something about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's really true. I mean, I remember when I was, uh, you know, first went to the summit, which was an expensive event and, you know, got to meet Robert Kiyosaki, got to meet you, got to meet some interesting people. And it really is, you know, if you want to change your trajectory, you've got to get in the room with successful people. Sometimes you got to pay money to do it. You got to pay a lot of money sometimes to be in the right rooms. And I've realized sometimes the more expensive an event is, sometimes the better quality of attendee, right? You get to, and I know you right. have a, uh, you have a mastermind that you're doing with physicians or with individuals. 
and yep. people can can join that kind of have some some coaching and a network and all that we're prepared to start a kind of like a deal flow group that's going to be a mastermind for individuals that can come and do that but it's I, one thing I really appreciate about you Tom is that you're you're really interested in, in helping others to get where they want to go and it reminds me of that Zig Ziglar quote of you can have everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what, what they what they want right and so it sounds yeah. like you you've been successful obviously because you're you're a trustworthy guy you've done a nice job but you you just, you come across as really wanting to help people, right? And I think that's what a lot of people, and is, is that, I guess I have a question on that. Um, as a physician, uh, a lot of the physicians I met, uh, there was a lot of ego. And I think one thing I've appreciated about you is that you're just very, you know, down to earth and you just, I've never seen you get really, I mean, I'm sure you have, you get frazzled and we all get frazzled, whatever, but you have a very humble approach. And I know that's intentional, but um, why is it, I guess, why is that hard for, you know, someone who is a, like an established physician to, um, you know, to be in a place where if you have investors and you can't always be, you know, quite in the doctor mode where you're calling out orders and dictating things, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Or in the OR, it's a different, yeah. you put a different hat on or how do you, how do you manage that? You know, I, so I, I don't know why some don't, don't get it. You know, it's just, it's really just a humility thing. And the fact that, you know, everybody in the world knows something that you and I don't. So you can yeah. always learn something from somebody else. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. I I, uh, I ended up just flipping hats, you know, I yeah. would focus, focus on being a doctor and then I'd walk out of the room and potentially answer a question from, you know, I'd do a real estate thing or I'd wait till I walked out of the office and put on the real estate hat. Um, but, but helping people is a lot of fun. You know, when you're a doc, and you do, when you do what I did, I was an orthopedic guy. So maybe somebody yeah. comes in with a sore knee. They can't run anymore. So I fix up their knee and they can run again. They'll say, thanks, doc. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be able to run anymore. Yeah. Well, as I, you know, like throughout the 30 years, I've always been sort of teaching and helping folks. And, you know, then the, the things ended up where I could help more people at one time. And you still get the same thanks. Maybe it's narcissistic or ego, but it feels really good when somebody says, you know, if you hadn't turned me on to this yeah. book, this podcast, or, or this concept, I wouldn't realize that there was an out for me. I felt so trapped before. I never knew there was, a, there was another way. That feels really good. And so yeah. that's what drives me. And quite honestly, that's why I retired from medicine, because I didn't have enough time to help the people I wanted to help and still be a doctor. So I was doing the doctrine for free anyway. So, well, uh, I think that's what, that's what sets you apart. And really almost every successful person that I've seen, it's never a, uh, I just, you know, uh, you can tell when someone's doing it for the wrong reasons, they're doing it because they, they yeah. want the yachts and Mai Tai lifestyle. And it's more about them than it's about the people they're helping. And sometimes, you know, you do stuff for free, you refer people around, you do a lot of work and you get paid for it. And, um, but I remember, I actually wanted to talk about that idea of, of you know, wearing hats. I remember when I was doing my medical sales thing or making 200 K a year doing my medical sales. And I started syndicating on the side and raising money. I remember it's in this meeting in the Bay area of California. I had that flew up from LA to go to a meeting up there. And I'm in a meeting with like six or seven other people. And I keep running out in the hallway to take calls. And I think they think I'm taking calls from like clients and, you know, from like in the, in the business, Oh, he's just so busy, whatever. And I'm taking like, these are guys like saying, Hey, I've got the hundred K and should I wire the money? And I'm like, looking around, make sure nobody's listening. I'm like, wire the money, you know, <laughs> like I'm a spy or something, but did you ever have that happen? Were you part of a big practice in the beginning where it was kind of like, did you ever feel that conflict of like, should I be doing this right now? Or I'm out of surgery, or I guess maybe physicians, it's a little, it's a little different, but were you always a solo practitioner or were you part of a larger group? 
So I was I was part of a small group and actually never never felt guilty because okay. um, you know, in fact, somebody told me once, hey Tom, you should you should focus on medicine. You'd be a better doctor. And I told them I focus 100 percent on medicine. The whole whenever I've got that doctor hat on, there's nothing else going on. I focus on yeah. that. Yeah. When there was free time, I'd focus yeah. on whatever else I was doing. And it made me a better doctor. So no, and I was just I I it was just two of us and my it was just me and a partner. And then I moved partners. It was two of us. And at one point we had as many as six, but that was it. So we always owned our own practice. I was, I found out early on that I was painfully unemployable. So I uh, had to, had to run the show. So we owned our own practice. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I think um, I'd love to hear your opinion on this too, but there's a book called range, which is by a guy, his last name, I think his name is uh, like, I get it wrong. The last name is Epstein. It's like James Epstein or something, but he wrote this book and he basically talked about, is it better to be like just a specialist in one thing only? Like I only do this certain area of orthopedic, whatever, or is it better to have other skills that you can basically bring in that makes you a better, you know, a better, whatever it is, whether it's a dentist or a physician, whatever. And it basically, he tells these stats that show that a lot of great inventions come from like people that were, you know, a lawyer and they found some technical invention for something else, or they were a dentist and they did, they kind of created these different things. And the idea of having breadth of knowledge, not just like special being a specialist is good, but sometimes having a breadth of knowledge of different areas, there's a lot of carryover. And it seems like maybe your real estate helped your, your business side and you're able to kind of live a more balanced life because you had all this other knowledge as well. Would you feel like that's true? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Robert Kiyosaki always says, you know, entrepreneurs are generalists and specialists are yeah. specialists. And there's, you know, there's two sides to that coin. Guys like Steve Jobs and, and uh, uh, you know, the Facebook guy, Zuckerberg, you know, Zuckerberg, they, yeah. they were like really focused, right? Specialists in what they did, but they created teams. Uh, right. And so I think, I really think that my my need to to have fun in life, I basically didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. So I, I didn't see that in the doctors that were training me. So my need for that exposed me to a lot of stuff that maybe I wouldn't have been exposed to before. And I realized that the world's a bigger place. There's a lot more fun things to do. You don't have to just keep working all the time and, and you don't have to sacrifice family time. There's, there's, mm -hmm. there's time for the things that are important in life. So I, I feel blessed that I, you know, I was the blind squirrel that found that acorn that got me on that path. So it's, it's been a, it's been a good life. I've really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Well, I really admire the, the the ways you've lived. And I want to ask you a couple more questions and we'll ask people how they can reach out. But um, let, I want to ask you on, on doing development right now. So we're, yeah. we're recording this. Uh, this is April, late April of, of 23. And you know, rates are higher. I know development is has been a struggle because of you know rates being higher. How are you, how are you navigating that? What are you seeing? Like how have you made any pivots in this area? Uh, are you seeing, you know, I just love to know kind of what it looks like from a, from a deal perspective right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pertinent question. We actually started, you know, probably late January, mid February last year, we, we saw, you know, saw what looked like signs that things were going to change. And we had a pretty robust pipeline, big, robust development pipeline. And we shut most all of it down. Uh, because, you know, these are, these are three-year projects when we get started. Right. So, wow. uh, we were very, became very picky. We still did some things. Um, but, you know, fast forward to now, uh, over the past six to 12 months, we've, we've taken land that we own and we're pretty much land banking or maybe allowing it to be sold if somebody wants to buy it. Uh, we've, we've slowed some projects and we're pretty much pulling on the reins of those projects that were already going. So 
development's not dead. It's just it's just a little difficult right now. You know, COVID and the interest rates have stretched out timelines, which you know stretches out your amortization, stretches out your interest only period. You start to amortize earlier. You're not leased up as 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 early as expected. So there's been some challenges uh, because of that. You know. And apartment starts are down 76% year over year. So most all the developers are doing the same thing we're doing. I did just yeah. read an article, somebody that's pretty well healed, that's continuing to develop here in Austin, because number one, Austin's like the favorite place for everybody, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. And their opinion is that, you know, 24 to 27, there's gonna be a, a there's gonna be a lack of apartments because of all the all the slowdown right now. So it depends on who you are. How deep your pockets are. Uh, we elected to be prudent and finish the ones that are going. Uh, we've not started any uh, any new multifamily projects. We are starting that extended stay stuff, uh, and we've we're we're making some acquisitions right now. So right now there's yeah. some there's some value in acquisitions for certain certain types. Yeah, that's great. No, I think it's uh, we've shifted a lot too. We've we do a lot of work in Jacksonville, Florida. So we've got our fifteen hundred apartment units there. But we've also shifted into other alternatives: ATM machines, car washes, and oil and gas, and those type of things. So it's great to sure. be a little bit agile, figure out you know, okay, what can we do that will work during this time? And I, I think you know, as rates, you know, well, who knows how long they'll stay high? Some people think they'll be high for a long time. Some people think they'll they'll come back down. So, what's your opinion on on rates? Do you have some opinions on that? Yeah, I was just giving a talk on that the other day. And, uh, you know, certainly a, a 25 basis points is baked into the May 2nd meeting. Uh, a lot of people think that that might be it. And the Fed themselves have kind of shown a, a kind of slow, gradual decline. You know, this time next year, maybe the average rate's 5.1, which is what it's going to be and what it'll be if they raise to 25 basis points next month. Uh, right. And maybe, maybe, maybe a, 150 to 200 basis points by the next year, maybe. So I think we're not going to get down to what we were. If you look at the, if you look at the 10 year chart, it looks like we're at uncharted horrendous interest rate territory. If you look at the 70 year chart, we're about normal where we sit yeah. now. So uh, I think things will, will calm down. I think there's recession certainly in our future. The, 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 the yield curve has, has projected that almost every recession. So yeah. as soon as that, as soon as that yield curve, curve flips back to normal, it's sometime within a month to a year that recession is going to start. So I think we got that to deal with. I think the interest rates will come down. Um, I don't have a crystal ball to know how fast or if that's really true, but uh, so now's sort of a time to, if interest rates are important to you, sit and wait and watch, but there's always a real estate deal out there somewhere. There's there's always a deal. If you're looking, you're always uh, a lot of people stop looking and that's when they're, they're missing some great deals. Well, right. Tom, I just want to say, yeah. I really appreciate you appreciate your friendship over the years. And of course the way that you've impacted so many lives and really kind of shown how to do this, both kind of bivocationally in a way where you're doing, you have your medical practice and you've had your uh, investing on the side and you've just really created this wonderful life. And so I've appreciated and also some of the values that really underlie everything you do. It's very apparent that you really care for people. So uh, thanks for that. I also encourage everybody to go out and pick up Tom's book, Why Doctors Don't Get Rich. You check it out here. I think this is one of the first 1,000 copies. Is that right? Or is that... <laughs> no, it must <laughs> be. It could be even the first one. <laughs> be the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe the first one. But uh, Tom, what's a good way for people to get in touch or follow what you're doing? Yeah, I tell you if, you, if anybody has read the book, I'd love to hear what you think about it. Just send me an email straight to tom at rich.life. 
And if you want to go to the website, uh, you know, I do put out a newsletter. I've got a mastermind that helps people kind of do these things. And uh, that's at rich.life. And so I've got a lot of free stuff on there, some gifts that kind of help that have helped me over the past 30 years. So might help them. But I'd love to hear from you if you've if you've read the book. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate it. There's a rich.life. Check that out. And I appreciate you being here today. Oh, thanks, Bronson. Always a pleasure. All right. So I really enjoyed this interview. Tom Burns, class act, awesome guy. Just, you know, the guy that you want to invest with, right? Because he's just super trustworthy and, you know, he doesn't not do it because he needs the money. He's doing it because he really wants to help people. And that's, I think what really sets people apart, people uh, that I look for, that I invest with are people that just want to help. And they're really interested in getting the best results for investors and really also have an educational component. And so that's what we try to do here is we try to provide that for people. And some people want to be passive and maybe you want to be passive. You can passively invest in Tom's deals or our deals or other people's deals. There's plenty of deals out there. Or you can do actively yourself like Tom. Tom didn't need to become an active real estate investor as a physician, but he just found it really interesting. And he found there's a personal growth side of it as well. And me as well. I just, I love learning new things and doing real estate and doing alternative assets such as ATM machines and car washes, oil and gas, other things precious metals. It gives me the ability to grow and to learn and to grow my wealth at the same time. So thanks for taking the time to educate yourself. Brian Tracy says, if you want to earn more, you have to learn more. And so you were doing that today. You're hanging out with Bronson Hill and Tom Burns on the Mailbox Money Show. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune next time for more Mailbox Money.